0: Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin, author of the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. This week, we are going through our first weekly rider transfer analysis that I just sent out to paid subscribers for in anticipation of the 2022 season. And I will cover a little bit of the drama going on over at Movistar. They just announced this morning that they'd fired Jose Arrieta, a longtime director sportif at that team and are bringing in Leonardo Pippoli, infamous doper. Uh, I think if you were into cycling in the mid-2000s, you will remember Pippoli and, and his exploits. Um, he brought me a lot of entertainment. So uh, no ill will there, but I think it's a it's a weird move, and I will talk about that more later. But first, if you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the new newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a free edition. comes out minimum once a week. If you like the podcast, that's a no-brainer. Sign up right now. There's also a paid edition. It comes out daily during Grand Tours and breaks down every other major race. Will come out at least three times a week in the offseason. Comes with discounts to select brands like Stages Cycling, FastCat Coaching, and Curé of Switzerland, and potentially some more to come in the near future. So if you want to unlock that value, sign up at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. All right, well, back to the transfer analysis. So much has happened since August 1st. Um, it's it's a, The timing is a little bit tough because I wanted to pay attention and give um, the necessary attention to the racing while it was going on. So the, a lot of these transfers already happened um, and were going on during the Vuelta and the late season racing that was so great. So I didn't cover them at the time. Now I'm playing a bit of catch up. So for this week, I just picked four teams that I thought were quite interesting And then I will keep covering teams as the weeks count down until the start of the season on January 1st. And then I will rate the transfers and off seasons for each team and jump into my BTP net ratings, which I'm, I'm very excited and curious to see how, how that shakes out. But first I wanted to talk about Astana. I thought this was the most interesting team so far in the transfer market. Um, They've really cleaned out a lot of their, their kind of famous writers, their, their stalwarts, the, the people the writers that I would associate with Astana, um, they're sending Jakob Pulsang out the door, Luis Land Sanchez, Juan Izagiri, Gorka Izagiri, Alexander Vlasov, Alexander Aaron Burrow, and Uga U, the Canadian who's going to Israel Startup Nation. Uh, this was, I thought this was super interesting. Um, and at first it looks a little jarring. You're like, wow, these are all their good writers. What are they doing? Uh, but if we dig a little bit deeper, these guys are old. I mean, Jakob Polsang's 36. Luis Land Sanchez is 37. Uh, The Izagiri brothers are 32 and 34, respectively. Um, And I think even uh, Ugo Ugo is in his 30s. I think he's 31. Aaron Burrow and Vlasov are the only young ones at 26 and 25. Those two departures, I do find a bit odd. Um, Vlasov has had his problems. He has not really, I guess, formed into the GC rider that I thought or hoped he would but he's still pretty good. A rider you can send to a Grand Tour and he can get top five is, is still worth something. I mean, that's a valuable rider. He got fourth of the Giro d'Italia this year. It was a pretty tough Giro field too. That was not super soft. He gets second overall at Paris-Nice. That's not the type of rider you want to be losing, especially since he's Russian and it's, it's a Kazakh team. Um, it seemed like a lot was aligning there. He heads off to Bora Hansgrohe. Um, I assume that it was a money thing. Um, I can't totally wrap my head around it. And then Alex Aaron Burrow, um, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, not a superstar by any means, but a very good rider, goes to Movistar. Um, th- those are the big, kind of the big concerns I would have, but I do love losing Fulsang. He goes to Israel Startup Nation. Luis Leon Sanchez goes to Bahrain. Uh, Juan Izagiri goes to Kofidis. Gorka goes to Movistar. And but who they bring in, so we covered who they sent out. Who they bring in, it's Miguel Angel Lopez, which is, we all know about that. He dropped out of the Vuelta on stage 20. He had like a three year long contract, just signed an extension with Movistar. They just said he's never going to race. You're never going to race here again. And Astana approaches them about buying his contract out. Apparently, Astana didn't, the Kazakh contingent inside Astana never wanted to depart, never wanted to send him out anyway. He wanted to come back to Astana in 2021 on the same pay he was getting in 2020, which would have been a pretty good deal for Astana. But they had these Canadian investors who had taken half ownership in the team. The way Astana, the Kazakh contingent, describes it is these are like smart business people who don't know what they're talking about with cycling because they had a bit of control of the team at the time. They even had like briefly fired Alexander Vinokurov, the Kazakh the Kazakh legend who was running the team before they came in, uh, they let Lopez go. In retrospect, I think that's a great move. Um, you might say these people don't know anything about cycling, but that that was a very good move. Lopez is an expensive rider who doesn't really win all that often. He wins about on average one Grand Tour stage win a year, and will get top ten in the GC. I mean, for the you could have you could get Jack Haig, who's better than that for a lot less money. So I actually like that move to let him go, but. In the meantime, Vinokurov had kind of rallied the Kazakh sovereign wealth fund behind him, come in with more money. Apparent, I guess I don't totally understand how that worked, and pushed out the Canadian investors. Once he was back in charge, he said, "I got to get Lopez back. I love this guy." Also, apparently, Alexander Vinokurov hates statistics and an, like analytics, and just like trusts his gut. If he likes a guy, he likes a guy. He doesn't want anyone getting in the way of his decision making. So. Um, that would explain why he decided he needed to have Miguel Ango Lopez, even though he had been on the team for years with, um, pretty mixed bag of results. Um, I, I wouldn't say someone that you need to go back and get, I think he, there's a lot of great young riders you could just pursue instead, but alas, Vinokurov did it. Um, they also bring back Vincenzo Nibali, which is a terrible idea. Um, horrible. He's 36 years old, uh, hasn't won a world tour race since 2019. When he was on Astana, Astana let him walk at the end of that season. He goes to Trek, has a massive decline in performance. It looks like Astana dodges a bullet, gets out from under that contract. And then Vinikirov decides, I need Nibali back. Nibali won me some races. I like the way he races. And, and full disclosure, I, I love Vincenzo Nibali, one of my favorite riders of all time. I love the way he races. I just am not bullish on his future prospects, and I wouldn't want to be paying him really any amount of money. I mean, if he was going to sign a low, low, low dollar contract, yeah, it'd be great to have him, but not really someone you want to put a lot of resources into at this point. He, he's far too old. He, he always was on the bubble of not having quite the power to weight ratio to compete with a lot of these, the kind of the, the freaks of nature. And I think the, the age as he's aged, it's just taken that little bit of edge off and he has not been able to keep up When stuff gets tough, so yeah, super strange decision to bring him back, but the Vinokurov unilateral situation over there would explain why that's happening. But in addition, they bring in Gianni Moscon, who terrible person, very good rider. I thought kind of underused at Ineos. That wasn't a great situation for him. But we saw at Roubaix recently. At Roubaix, he would have won that race solo if things would have fallen. A little bit different if he wouldn't have flatted and crashed i mean just if he was on maybe slightly different wheels or tires he he could have won that race so super talented rider he'll have a lot more opportunities at astana david de la cruz from uae along with joe dombroski and valerio conti all uae guys um i love these additions these riders were at UA- uae when they they made the switch from lamprey i believe just needed stage hunters who could win stages um neither de la Cruz, Dombrowski, or Conti really were that good at working for other people. So as Pogacar rose at UAE in stature, they, they were kind of made redundant because when Pogacar can just win whatever he wants, whenever he wants, you don't need stage hunters, you need people that can support him in races, or you need people who can ride for GC and uh, other stage races that Pogacar's not at. UAE was stuck in this in, in this kind of point where they had a lot of riders, legacy riders left over from the pre-Pogacar era that I didn't think really fit into the tapestry that they have going on now. These are all stage hunters. I mean Dombrowski's specifically not very, very not good at at working for other riders. I've never really seen him perform that well in a domestique role. So this is this is a great landing spot for for all these guys. I think Moscon specifically will have a lot of freedom to generate, I think some great results here. Um, I, I'm pretty bullish on this move for them. But all around, I, I kind of like this offseason for Astana. I'd kind of written them off. They were having money troubles. It seemed like kind of the global energy markets at the end of 2019 and going into 2020 were really pinching the funding of their team, which comes from the Kazakh Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is heavily weighted towards natural gas and oil. Uh, but now we see the price of oil is through the roof globally and natural gas. Everyone needs it. Everyone wants it. It couldn't be more expensive. So I assume that it has helped Astana's budget. They're kind of revitalized coming back. And I think this is the right move. I mean, they clearly are missing a heavy hitter, like someone who can compete in Grand Tours with the best. They probably think that is Vincenzo Nibali. I promise you that is not Vincenzo Nibali, nor is it Lopez. Lopez has not podiumed at a Grand Tour since 2018. He's a very bad time trialist, perhaps one of the worst time trialists in the sport, there's no place for those guys in, the, in this new era of cycling. You have to be able to time trial to even compete at a Grand Tour. So they don't have a Grand Tour contender as far as I can see it, but I think they've got a lot of great stage hunters, and that could even help the stage hunters more that they don't have a Grand Tour contender. The trap here, though, that they could fall into is we've seen Lopez hang in the GC until they get to the time trial. And that if a team isn't smart or savvy about it, they can invest a lot of resources in Lopez until it's too late. And we saw this at the 2020 Tour de France. He was hanging in the top three until stage 20. He lost literally six minutes in the time trial and fell as sixth place overall. So um, that that would be the trap there where you kind of sacrifice stage hunting for the sake of a GC result that is a bit of a mirage because the time trial will just destroy any standing he has. But all around, love their offseason. I think it's. It looks shocking, it looks bombastic, but I just love getting, getting off Volsang and, and Sanchez and Iz- Iz- Izagiri. I've, I've loved these guys throughout their careers. I think they're great racers, but their best days are clearly behind them. If you're arguing, otherwise, you're, you're not, you don't know about aging or how the human body works. So great offseason for Astana. Uh, second most interesting team I thought was UAE Team Emirates. Uh, they've been actually pretty bad outside of pagachar it's a little deceiving because they are pretty high up in both the pro cycling stats points rankings and uci points rankings for the team classification but if you pull out pagachar they really don't have a lot going on so and, and as i said they're they're kind of stuck in this position where they have a lot of riders from the pre pagachar area era they were just signing probably slightly expensive riders who could just win any race when you're starting out as a team um, or making a big transition as they did from lamprey you just need to get points on the board and that's what they did they had alexander kristoff who is at the at one time was a great one-day racer and um, a pretty consistent stage winner at grand tours david de la cruz joe jombrowski and valerio conti as i said they're all those guys are all going to astana kristoff is going to intermarche Uh, But what happened is, I mean, it's telling that none of these four riders that are leaving went to the Tour de France this year. They just don't really fit into a Grand Tour team where you're riding for the overall. Christophe needs a lot of – what's interesting is Christophe was in the 2020 Tour team. He won a stage. um, But you could tell how much UAE has changed since then where they didn't really expect Pogacar to win the overall. They were hedging their bets by bringing Christophe. Pagachar does win the overall. but. That win also brought in a new mentality for the team where when they go to a grand tour with Bogacar, it's all in for the win. So these guys don't really fit into the team anymore. They bring in Pascal Ackerman, who is just kind of a younger version of Kristoff, maybe not as good of a classics writer, but very good sprinter. I, I love this addition. George Bennett from Yumbo. George is not super consistent. I think he's actually quite a bit overrated because he is a compelling person and he speaks English, so he connects with people through the media but as a domestique he does have quite a few bad days but still I I think he's a proven grand tour support rider um I like the edition Joao Almeida lo- couldn't love this edition more um Marc and Jose Hodege from both of those or he's from quick Quickstep along with Joao um I'll start with the ones I don't like Uh, Mark Solaire. I I don't understand this at all. Um, Solaire is a really immature writer who thinks he's a team leader, but isn't good enough to lead a team and kind of refuses to work for other writers. He's quite childish. I was actually shocked to see he's 27 years old, because if you watch the Movistar documentary on Netflix, he seems like kind of an immature kid and the team treats him like he's a kid. They give him a lot of slack. It's always well. Mark's learning. Mark's getting older. You know, he'll he'll be better when he gets older. Um, It's like well, Mark's Mark's kind of in the uh, actually almost on the downslope of his career. So you can't really cut him that slack forever. Which is probably why Movistar let him go. And I I just don't see where he fits in at UAE. The only thing I could think of is um, I mean he's he's displayed publicly displayed an aversion to working for people. He threw a fit at the 2019 Vuelta Espana when they asked him to drop back and work for Valverde which was a completely reasonable thing to do. That's what they were there for. They weren't there for Marc Solaire stage wins. And that would haunt me if I'm, if I'm looking at him and expecting him to do anything for a teammate. But maybe what they're thinking is they're so bad at Grand Tours where Pogacar isn't racing. And at this, I mean, Pogacar races about one Grand Tour a year. He's just raced the Tour de France in the past two years. So um, what do you do about those other two? you know, maybe they think they can send him, and that it's all upside. It's like, okay, maybe he flops. Maybe he doesn't. If he wins a stage, that's a pretty good result for us. We wouldn't get that otherwise. So, you know, perhaps what, that's what they're thinking there. And, and he is pretty good at one day state, one week stage races. If, um, if the team doesn't have a lot of other options that that could be good for them too. And the, and the addition I, I really love is Joao Ameda um joao had to get out of quick quickstep the team has never won a grand tour before in the history of its existence it, it was never going to happen there for him. I think he's an extremely talented Grand Tour rider. I think when he went to the Giro this year and the team made him support Remco Evanapol and sit up and wait for Evanapol on multiple occasions, he that was a sign he needed to get out of there right now. I also love this for UAE because no one, I, I don't think there's any young rider that has the tools to challenge Pogacar going forward as much as Joao. And now with Joao on UAE, it means that it's kind of the old Nebraska football strategy where you'd sign like 200 football players to scholarships because the thinking is, well, they may never play for us, but if we have them on our bench, they can't play against us. And that there's probably a bit of that going on here, where if, if Almeida's inside the team, he can't beat the team. The worst thing that could happen is we take them both to a tour, and he beats Tade Pogacar, but the hedge there is, well, the team still wins the race overall. So I just think this is a great move. I think Almeida was, was pretty underutilized, misused at kind of quick step. That was, a not, that was not a great fit for him. I think he's going to get a lot of leadership opportunities at UAE in either the Zero or the Vuelta. As I said just a few moments ago, Pogacar really only does one Grand Tour a year, so they have to solve the issue for the other two Grand Tours a year. There'll be plenty of leadership opportunities to go around. I've also heard that Pagachar might skip the Tour in upcoming years, or at least try to do the Zero Tour double, which is so hard, almost impossible. I mean, if anyone could do it, it's Pagachar, but if he wins the Giro and then goes to the Tour, and and Almeida's just focusing on the Tour, that's a great hedge for the team because it allows them to be super ambitious with Pogacar. Um And if he's not up to the task, then they kind of have this this uh, top tier Grand Tour contender just sitting there in the wings, ready to take it up if Pagaccia is struggling at the Tour after winning the Giro. So great move. Couldn't be more excited about it. Third most interesting team I had is Team DSM. Um, we all know that. Tej Banoot, their supposedly star rider, I guess, we'll, we'll get into that in a second, um, left the team unexpectedly yesterday. It's unclear where he's going. He was in the middle of his contract. I assume he was bought out of his contract by another team. We just don't know who, whom yet. The same thing happened with Mark Hershey at the beginning of this season back in January. They also lose Nico Roche, who retired. Jai Henley going to Bora, Michael Storr going to Groupama, and Chad Hege going somewhere to be determined. Um, those, I mean, specifically Storer are tough losses. They add John Degenkolb, who was formerly on this team and had great success on this team, but has only won six races since leaving in 2016. So yeah, I'm, I'm not wild about that addition, um, but they bring on some really, really interesting riders. No one is, is better at finding, signing and developing young talent than DSM and they bring on, besides Degenkolb, they bring on six youngsters from either their development team or Uno X Pro Cycling Team, a Norwegian, um, I guess, development team. I think they are technically a full fledged pro team, but they develop insanely strong Nordic riders and they really punched above their weight at the uh, Spring Classics this year. I was so impressed with Uno X. I would want anything to do with anyone on that team. I think it's one of the most exciting. Um, like pure power, classic teams that are, is out there. Um, if I was a team like uh, DSM, I would be basically yeah, stocking my professional, my top tier professional team with riders from that team. So they bring in two riders from Uno X and three riders from their own development team, including the Danish rider, Frederick Rodenberg. Um, I mean, at this point, any Danish rider I'm signing, I don't, I don't even, I don't care what they look like what the results are that that country is on fire as far as results but this guy he's from uno x and he won kind of an interesting result he won the 2019 he's only 23 years old right now but in 2019 so he would have been 21 he wins eschborn frankfurt which sounds like a nothing race but um like stefan bissinger was fourth who now is like a full-fledged star for ef jonas roch who's also i think a a superstar on ef an emerging superstar gets 21st in that race so the fact that friedrich could win this um i i could i couldn't love these additions more i think dsm um, potentially has hit a home run with these young riders are bringing in the only place this gets dicey is losing store i'm fine with frankly i'm fine with losing jai henley if i'm them i'm fine with losing tej banu that sounds a could be. Slightly controversial or just a stupid thing to say because Henley, if you remember, got second at the 2020 Giro d'Italia and Tej Banut won the 2018 Strada Bianchi and got second at the 2020 Paris Nice. So, yeah, these are good riders. There's no denying that. But the, the, if we look at the facts and just what's going on right now, the, t- t- combined, they've won two World Tour races in the past two seasons. So, um, when they're contracts were coming up, they would have to, the team was going to have to re-sign them at a great expense. They're going to have to pay them like they're superstars. And DSM is smart. Ewan Spuckenbrook is a really smart team manager. I think he can grade on people because he runs an incredibly tight ship with a lot of rules. They control everything about what you do on that team, what you eat, when you sleep, where you travel, how you travel. Um, yeah, I would probably get sick of it too and want to leave, but Definitely works. Um, if you remember the 2022 de France, they had great results with this. Um, it's like this flat structure. I, I call it like total football, which is the Dutch mentality of every player on the pitch should be able to play every position on the pitch and everyone's interchangeable. Um, it can break down at certain points, but they've had great success when they when they execute that vision. But the the departure of store, it make no mistake, that hurts. He won two Volta stages. He's going to Groupama. That will be interesting to see how he, how he develops there. That team does not have a great track record of developing riders or just even plain getting results. So curious to see how that goes. But the Banute, we should touch on the Banute thing. He was in the middle of a contract. I assume he was bought out. I also believe Mark Hershey was bought out of his contract. And I think what DSM's strategy here is, you let a team buy you out of a writer's contract. And what this accomplishes is, especially with Hershey, Hershey was a hot, hot commodity at the time. So they probably got top dollar for that buyout. So you get cash, you get an influx of cash, like let's say 300,000 euros, but you, it also saves you the money of having to resign them because let's say Hershey came back to DSM after his contract was up. You're going to have to pay him minimum a, a million euros a year, maybe more than that. Um, so not only do you, get the influx of the infusion of cash. You don't have to pay him the large contract. And especially if you have doubts about a rider's ability to consistently win, if you're paying someone seven figures, they need to be winning a lot. You know, This isn't a team like Ineos who can just have riders on seven figure salaries who never do anything. And that team does. They have riders on making over a million euros a year that you've probably never heard of. Um, regular teams can't do that. They have to be very, very smart about who they sign and what they pay them. So I think this is a bit of a calculated move, especially if you have someone that's a little bit unhappy with the team and you can get cash for them and then you don't have to resign them because if you wait until their contract is up, they leave for nothing. Think about Jai Henley. He goes to Bora for nothing. The team just loses him. So I think this is a bit of a savvy move here just to get a cash infusion. From a rider who probably wouldn't have stayed anyway, they lose one year of Banute performance, but I'm sure they're fine with that. What was Taj Banut going to win next year anyway? He's a very talented rider, but he is stuck in this in-between zone of not quite being good enough at climbing or time trialing to be a Grand Tour contender. He can't quite climb well enough to win mountain stages. Also keeps him from being like a super domestique because he can't stay with the team leader over multiple mountains and he's not quick enough to win one days so he has to win everything solo which is incredibly hard to do so he's just kind of a strong rider who doesn't really have a niche like let's say if he goes to i don't know Alpecin Intermarché a team like that could, or even bike exchange would be an interesting team for him i think that's a much better fit than DSM who needs to get they need to be super careful about who they pay and what they pay him cuz they don't have a huge budget and they want everyone to work together i mean sometimes though and and this is goes back to the Degenkolb lining. Sometimes they stray from that mentality, and I think they pay for it dearly. We saw at the Tour this year, they were all in for Say's Bull, which I'm still baffled by this strategy. Bull Bull's not good enough to win a Tour de front stage. He wasn't even close in a lot of those sprints, and they sacrificed the entire team to do it. They have great riders on that team, like Soren Crow Anderson, who could be winning stages um, if they're racing a little bit more aggressively. We saw that in 2020. So this is, I'm a little worried about the Degan Kolb signing. I, I don't understand it. He's old. The team usually signs young riders. It seems like the best days are far behind him. And most importantly, he's probably going to demand resources in a race. He's not going to be fine with everyone racing for themselves. And he's just a single small cog in a larger machine. He's going to want people pulling back brakes for him. He's going to want people keeping the race together and getting him as far you know, as far into the race as possible in the front group, and then he's going to try to sprint and he's not going to win. So um, I, I really don't like this at all. I think it's, it's kind of, they maybe see it as like a hedge. Oh, well, if the young riders don't perform, at least we have John who is talented enough that he can win, even if he's not at his best. But I think that it's actually quite a risky hedge and they'll have to sacrifice quite a bit to have him on the team. So the last team I will talk about is Movistar and that will take us into uh, the kind of the strange management decisions they've made recently. So as I said earlier, they they, leave, they lose Miguel Ango Lopez, they sold him to Astana and they lose Mark Soler. He goes to UAE. There's also other I should mention now, there's other riders that are coming and going, but I'm only picking the major ones, completely subjective. Uh, filter. So I'm not mentioning everyone, just the ones I deem important. Um, I I realize that is kind of a silly, subjective way to do it. So as far as departing riders, um, I don't think they'll miss either of these guys. Um, Lopez did win a really, really hard stage at the Vuelta. Um, They will miss that ability, but he's not, the juice is not worth the squeeze there. Um, If you go back and rewatch that Vuelta, there's a lot of situations where Enric Mass had to sacrifice a little bit Because they wanted to keep Lopez happy and, as you know, let him ride as a GC rider. Specifically, I believe it was Stage 18, maybe 19, where Primoz Roglic attacks with Egan Bernal, and neither Soler nor, or sorry, neither Mas or Lopez follow him. Um, In theory, since Movistar had two riders there, they just should have had Lopez setting pace to keep those two riders as close as possible and then maybe moss can catch and drop them on the final climb um instead they're both protected riders so they're not not able to pull them back and uh, moss kind of loses his fight for the overall there so there is it, it it does cost you quite a bit to have a rider like lopez in your team so even though they did get that stage win I don't think they'll miss him. And, and Mark Soler, as I said, very talented rider, like one of the smoothest pedal strokes in the sport. He brings a lot of baggage to the team. And, and some of the stuff I should say in his defense, he's pointing out stuff in the Movistar documentary about the team that is legitimate. Like they don't tell them what to do. They don't give them cogent strategy before the race. Um, so, you know, it's not like Soler's complaining about everything. It's not like all of his complaints are unfounded, but he's just, I don't find him mature enough to ever be a leader nor is he committed enough to work for people. So that's a tough place to be in for a team to have a highly paid rider who demands resources, who just isn't up to it. So they won't miss either of those guys. They bring on Gorka Izaguirre. This is fine. This is actually pretty good. I mean, in the aggregate, Gorka can, it sounds crazy. I think this is where there's like a lot of misunderstanding amongst teams about, um, like quote unquote, we got to get stars. We got to get winners. I mean, Gorka can almost match the ability to win of Lopez and Soler. Um, I, you know, he can't match them from one for one. Like Soler won some pretty fantastic stages at the volta in his career, and Lopez obviously is a great at winning the hardest stage of every Grand Tour. But you no, know, Gorka could win it. Could win a Grand Tour stage, not out of the question. You know, if he wins, let's say he wins a Grand Tour stage and a stage of peronese um you're you're almost matching the output you're getting from Soler and Lopez. So. Um, I don't hate that move. He's he's not getting any better, but he could hold steady for a few years. Um, Alex Aaron Burrow, I love this move so much. I think he could be very good at Movistar. He's super versatile. He he can kind of sprint. He can kind of climb, but it means he can compete on a wide variety of terrain and over uh, many, many race days per year. So you're going to get a lot of value out of him because he can compete in so many different types of races. Um, They get Ivan Sosa from Ineos. Also love this edition. He had a rough, rough time at Ineos. He went to Ineos. Kind of is like the 1A and 1B with Egan Bernal. He was going to be the Colombian sensation as well. I never really thought he had a chance to develop there. I thought he got put in a lot of difficult positions. That was a bad team for him. There's so many talented riders at Ineos. They don't really develop riders. So um, it was always going to be tough for him. Um, I think he could He's definitely worth a second look for Movistar. I, I wouldn't write him off yet. He's still very young. Um, he's very talented, and I th- think you know it's not certain. But if there's even a, a minuscule chance of rehabilitating his career, you you got to take a shot on him, especially if you're a Spanish-speaking team and you're you have a sponsor like Movistar who wants to make inroads in Colombia. This is a great fit. I um, mean, they bring on Will Barda from EF. He is um, a super super talented American writer isn't going to win you a lot of races, but super stable, uh, like a stable personality, and w- is willing to work for people. So I love that addition as well. And frankly, I mean, I crap on Movistar a lot. I kind of think they're one of the worst run teams in the sport, but I love this offseason. The only thing missing, you know, there's a glaring hole in all of these moves. It looks like they're clearing out space for a big star, um, spe- um, probably preferably for them. A big Spanish-speaking Grand Tour star, you know, probably one from South America since that's a big focus market for Movistar. Um, who matches that? That would be Egan Bernal. Egan Bernal has been signaling to the press that he wants to leave Ineos. He is under contract through next season. So, I, you know, this looks like they're clearing out space for Bernal. Um, they would have to buy him out of his contract this year. I doubt Ineos would do it since why would they do that? They don't need the money. Um, Bernal's still pretty good I don't really see the upside for them so they'll probably have to make a run at him in the next offseason um, but it seems like they're committed to that that's what these moves tell me um, that they still need like a top tier grand tour contender um, and Enric Moss is good he's never going to win the, the tour though he may never even win a grand tour but maybe they figure this this roster is good enough just for this year and if we get Bernal next season, that's even better. I mean, obviously they have Valverde, but it's going to be 42 next year. I cannot imagine him competing in, in Grand Tour GC content and GCs at Grand Tours, you know, maybe a stage win here or there. So that takes us to this kind of strange bit of news coming out of Movistar this morning. Um, they fired uh, Jose Arrieta, which is not shocking. If you watched the Movistar docu- documentary on Netflix, they are a terribly terribly run team um frankly i think if you were like a stakeholder and you saw that you should fire everyone associated with the team it was kind of embarrassing it was great entertainment kind of embarrassing as i as i mentioned with the solar thing they were just straight up not giving people strategy before the stage like solar would ask what are we supposed to do when we get to the final climb and they'd just be like well i'll figure it out um yeah that's not going to breed success they do bring in pachi villa I believe in 2020, Pachi Vila is a super thoughtful, smart guy. He was Peter Sagan's personal coach when Peter Sagan was winning world, t- world championship after world championship. Clearly knows what he's doing. And Pachi Vila even brings up, you can see Arrieta telling the team, well, let's make it hard on the funnel climb and we'll drop everyone. And Pachi Vila speaking up on the team bus, this takes a lot of cojones to do in front of the riders, in front of everyone saying, no, if we do that, we will lose because we are not as strong as the other teams. Have you not looked at the numbers? Like, look at the training numbers. We physically cannot put out as much power as the other teams. We absolutely cannot make it hard because we will hurt ourselves more than we hurt the other people. That is absolutely right from Pachevila. I've seen some, some pieces this morning kind of throwing shade at him and suggesting that he is some doping mastermind and this is him pushing out clean managers in favor of bringing in uh, pro-doping Figures, which which is hap, which they are bringing in pro doping people, but I don't think that's Pachivila's doing. I think we've, as I don't think pachi has ever really been associated with doping or accused of anything. So I think that's kind of an odd, uh, kind of odd mudslinging. As far as I'm concerned, if there's no evidence, then um, you don't really have the ability to accuse people of something. The second part of this is Movistar is bringing in Jose Ibar-Goran, um and Leonardo Pipoli. Ibargoran is a a Doping doctor, like an almost like an out and proud doping doctor. If you look at his career, he has been the team doctor for a lot of sketchy teams. Bonesto, Lamprey, uscada uscadi Sonia Druval, Fuji Sobreto, Homo Omo Pharma Lato, which is uh, the old Dakota kind of Quick Step. Um, he came into that team when they stunk and they were a fantastic team immediately upon his arrival. He was arrested in 2002 for for doping riders at lamp So, uh, yeah, kind of a problem. If on one hand, this is like, well, they're, they're basically thumbing their nose at anti-doping. Like this is a joke. Like they're bringing in people who was one of the most dope riders I've ever seen in my life. And a guy who's, who appears to specialize in doping riders as a doctor of a team. Um, not good, right? Like that, that's tough to square, but I would say some slight defense here Um, I'll defend it slightly and then I'll say why I think it's a bad move, um, for other reasons. But so people, both of these guys are been associated with doping. I've been arrested for doping. That's pretty bad, but it's hard to look at a team that doesn't have a doctor who is associated with doping. I mean, Ineos, I mean, everyone, Ineos went out and hired a doctor specifically because the doctors they had didn't know enough about doping. I mean, think of Jonathan Vaders, runs the EF team. He was just as big of a doper as Leonardo Pipoli. Jonathan Voters, if, if not more, he was one of the most like he was on the cutting edge of blood doping um, in his writing days and has some results that are absolutely ridiculous. So, I mean, obviously, Alexander Vinokurov would be the most um, probably used example. He was he was busted multiple times for doping probably won the Olympics by uh, both pain rider and doping. Yeah, if he gets to run Astana and Vodders gets to run EF and Dakona Quickstep gets to have pretty much every one of their director sportives be former dopers, then why isn't this okay? It just feels a little bit selective. And I get a little defensive when Spanish speakers or non-Western Europeans are kind of cast as villains in doping because I, I just don't think that they're any worse than the Anglo. Or Western European forces in the sport, especially since we have emails from the old Ineos team, skies basically saying we need a doctor who knows what he's doing. The, the current doctors we have aren't good enough at doping riders. Um, yeah, if you're if you're going to give kind of cast movie stars this comical doping team, then you need to be just as critical of EF and Ineos and. It's I mean you I don't think you can literally name a team that doesn't have a director or a manager that was caught doping in their career. But the reason I don't I don't like this for a few reasons. Um, it's not clear to me that so Leonardo Pipoli, I don't know what he's been doing. He got caught in 2009 and suspended and I don't can't tell if he's been working or psych, in cycling or not. Why would you bring him on as a coach? Is he knowledgeable about the sport? Is he a good tactician? If anything, I'm super skeptical of former dopers as coaches because they, I think they just don't, they don't have good info. They, they weren't collecting good info throughout their career. Cause what are they going to tell someone? Yeah. So when he gets to the final climb to do 500 Watts for 30 minutes and drop everyone, cause that's what I did in my career. Just not clear to me how he's going to relate to let's presume the riders on the team are clean, how he's going to relate to them or give them good advice. And the same thing with the team doctor, what would a team doctor who has been doping riders throughout his career know about? taking care of riders who are clean. I, I mean, I guess the pushback on this is they're not clean, right? And they're planning to dope them. I, w- I would say, in my opinion, for what, it, for what it's worth, I don't really have a ton of great info on this. I don't think the teams are doping riders. I think that's far too risky. We saw a little bit of this with the Jiffy bag incident when um, Ineos was kind of caught flying some sort of pharmaceutical across across international borders to bring to Bradley Wiggins. That really blew up in their face. And just even the paper trail that Ineos had to deal with, with ordering testosterone to the facility, um, emails you have to send to coordinate doping programs. It's all too risky. No, Enios kind of got away with it, kind of didn't. I mean, they've clearly not been the same team since those allegations came out. Um, I think a team that, doesn't have the media sway that Ineos has kind of would have been destroyed by that so i think that it's just far too risky for a team to be coordinating a doping program i in my opinion it is just yeah we need to to perform uh let that hang out in the air you figure out a way to do it um and then if someone goes off and they and they find their own doping program and they get caught you can say oh we got a few bad apples in the team These are individual actors; they have to be punished. Um, But we're we're no way associated with that as the team. Um, So I, I don't think that teams have stopped doping out of some like ethical concerns. I think it's it's purely. I think it's just a great legal and PR strategy because you can just blame everything on the riders. It's like you're putting the pressure on them to perform. If they choose to get performance enhancing techniques to do that, and they're caught, you can blame them and you fire them, and you move on, and you're not culpable. So I would be shocked if Movistar is, is firing up some internal doping program with, with these guys as masterminds. That would just be far too telegraphed and too risky, especially with e- emails that are essentially public, <laughs> public messages you're sending. Um, I think it would be very difficult. I mean, maybe they have like Telegram and and they're using encrypted services to communicate, but it, I, I, I would think it's just far too risky and unnecessary. You can just lean on writers and and they will figure it out themselves. So despite the the obvious connotation here, I, I don't think this is some grand plan for movie to dope, but I, I, I do find it odd. I, I don't think that l- whatever Leonardo he has been doing for the last 13 years, has that really been preparing him to be a top level coach, and what does he know about racing in the modern era? I just have a lot of questions about it. I think it's more kind of mismanagement from Movistar, just kind of misreading the, the landscape and, and how to respond to it strategically. And I, I would be very curious to get Pachi Vila's take on this. I, people are like acting as though this is a Pachi Vila orchestrated move. I would bet that he's not very excited about this. Um, he's a super thoughtful guy really intelligent guy. I think he would want to coach uh, working inside the team that is maybe a bit more of a, let's say, modern operator than both of these guys. But we'll keep an eye on this. And next week, I will be out of the country, actually, doing a tour of Bundesliga games, purely for, for, for work purposes, obviously. Um, but I have a banked interview with Andrew Vontz. He was uh, formerly a great great, great freelance rider, covered a lot of cycling. Now he is an executive at Strava and I will be releasing that next week. And then the week after we'll be jumping back into the weekly transfer analysis. All right. Well, thank you for listening and have a great week. All right. Bye.